This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everybody, this is Sean Daly, Editor-in-Chief of GreenLivingIdeas.com, and this is Green Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us, as always, on another episode. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the not-so-big life and the not-so-big house. And to talk with me about that is the person who really coined those phrases, Sarah Suzanka. Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes. Well, Sarah, I should mention, is a best-selling author and also an architect, and and I also understand, well, really a a cultural visionary. Um, And and you're part of really uh, what's become a movement uh, of redefining uh, the American home, and I guess really with with your latest book, The The American Life. That's right. And and this idea of building better and not bigger. Tell us about how you got into that. Well, um, there are a whole bunch of different stories, but they really started when I moved as a teenager from England to the United States. And I started to notice that although all of the American houses of my friends had the same rooms in them that I was familiar with in England, they didn't use them the same way. You know, in England, we would use our formal spaces uh, all the time, all day, every day. And in this country, they seemed to be uh, covered in plastic and not really meant for anybody to actually sit in. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> very so true. I started to just become an observer of American culture and of American houses in particular at the time. And so um, when I began a career in architecture, I was very interested in house design and uh, started to help people rethink what it was they actually wanted. And as I started this practice, I began in 1983 in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And with a number of partners, we developed a very successful practice, largely because we were able to help people spend their money more effectively. So we were designing houses for the way people really lived as opposed to for the way our grandparents used to live. It really does seem to be one of these things where it's it's nobody ever questions. It just continues because I it's just the way things have always been done, so that's the way it continues to be done. Exactly. We do these things on automatic, and we do them because all the professionals that are advising Joe Q. Public about what he needs for resale have never actually asked Joe Q. Public how he's using his house these days. <laughs> right. And I, I imagine there's got to be a lot of fear of, well, gee, if we do it in a different way, we're going to have that different house that we can't sell on the market because it's just kind of weird or something. That's what drives the whole equation. And so part of why I wrote uh, The Not-So-Big House in 1998 was because I recognized that if it wasn't for... If, if, if people couldn't speak how they actually live and how badly designed the typical thing that we're told we need for resale fits their lifestyle, that it was going to continue at an infinitum. And sure enough, as soon as the not-so-big house came out, it shot up to number one on Amazon. It was an instant success because people said, that's what I want. And then by 
by being able to point to a set of ideas that this book embodied, they were able then to start convincing the appraisers and the bankers and, you know, all those people that really influence how we build that there was another model coming on the market. And you think about it, there's a, there's an enormous amount of irony in the idea of a family living in a house based on a large percentage potentially of that house, not suiting what they actually want, but rather what some mysterious future potential buyer might want. Exactly. It's absolutely <laughs> nuts. And, and you wouldn't believe, you know, it's at least 85% of the population isn't using rooms that they are actually building for this future buyer who won't use them either. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very... <laughs> Yeah. confused system. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, it is. Well, it's certainly welcome visionaries such as yourself that are, that are turning that on its ear. So, so tell us about, uh, you know, going to, just talking about the not-so-big house first. Yes. Um, right. What are the key features of a not-so-big house? Or well, non-features? <laughs> they're, they're basically that the house is first and foremost designed for the way that you actually live. So if you don't use a room uh, in your present house more than half a dozen times a year, don't build that room again. Uh, in, the, in a new house, take that same money that you would have spent on building that room and instead put the money into the quality and character of the spaces that you use every day. The real idea behind the not-so-big house is that every space is used every day, and it's used sometimes to do double duty. So it might be, for example, that you would have an informal eating area that could become a more formal eating area for those few times a year that you have guests over, understanding that people actually, when we have guests over, they're Joe and Kathy from next door, and they actually want to be where you are. <laughs> right. So it's, um, it's typically a very different motivation than how we tend to build with those formal rooms that so rarely get used. Mm-hmm. And then it has to be comfortable. And this is something that um, we, we forget how critical it is that our houses make us feel at home. So we're so busy focusing on what, um, you know, what people are going to perceive from the outside, we don't realize that our houses have to make us feel like we have a place to settle. If they don't, they're not really working. And so I focus on in uh, the Not-So-Big House, and actually there are now another five books in that series, helping people to just see that quality and character is something that you can build in. It's not just something that you bring with the furniture. And so making the house an expression of who you really are is a very important part of the whole design process. And, and I completely agree with you on that. And it's, but it's one of those things that's interesting because there is that, that people have that, that fear factor of, of resaleability. Now, it, just to take that and bear that out, I mean, does that really, for, for, let's say for folks that, and by the way, I, I have to say I'm in the club of people who, I did, we did a remodel in our home mm-hmm. and we made it perfect for us. I mean, we, it's so weird and funky and cool in, in like in all of the us ways. It's really our house. I mean, we, we did all kinds of things that were just suited our family and the way we live because that's right. how we wanted to do it. But we really didn't think about resale value, uh, about with a lot of the, the features because, you know, I'm not sure how many people are really going to want a Kung Fu yoga studio above the garage. <laughs> that might be, but that for us was very important because we, we, you know, really have a whole community of people that come and participate in that. It's not for our family. So, but you know, I, I mean, the, are those fears um, based on reality? I mean, does that hurt you well, when you go to sell? There are certainly things that you can do that will make something uh, out of 
you know, not of interest to a large portion of the population. I had at one point a, a client who wanted a 6,000 square foot house with one bedroom. That was not going to be likely to resell fast. <laughs> right. But there are a lot of things that you can do to make your house more personal. Your kung fu space, for example, somebody else would see as a marvelous carpentry shop or an or a media center. Or, you know, it could be so many different things. It can be reinterpreted. So yeah, it's, it's ultimately just a space. It's just a space, right. exactly. So, so what I tell people is, if you don't make your house personal, guess what? You're going to want to move. So make it personal, make it beautiful, make it inspiring, and recognize that in doing that, you are vastly more likely to want to live there for a long time. And that's one of the most sustainable things that you can do. Hmm. That's an important concept. I, I'm glad you said that. It's funny because people talk about the importance of living in the moment. <laughs> and we're talking about living in uh, uh, millions or billions of moments, right. you know, for that's however right. many years one might actually exactly. live. And, 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 and I, I get I, that's a, I appreciate what you're saying too. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Prophecy is the reason that people are moving so much is because they're not creating the spaces that make them want to stay. That's exactly right. So, um, how has this idea been received in the land of bigger is always better? Well, amazingly, it's been received tremendously well, and I think what we don't see uh, reflected very much in the mass media is that there's a lot of people who are really quite. Uh, they, they're not. They don't see themselves in what they see on television. They don't see themselves in what they see in these large, uh, what I call starter castles, uh, marching their way across the hillsides. And so, for that audience, they were desperate for some other alternative. And the Not So Big House, Home by Design, some of the other books I've written have really helped them to see how they can get a new house or remodel an existing house to really fit them. And it doesn't have to be anything to do with resale or being ostentatious or showy. Mm -hmm. And that's news to a lot of people. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, you know, and, and this is a topic we've talked to uh, talked to on this pro program before. Uh, how we had Shay Solomon, um, who's involved in smaller living, smaller homes, and and we were talking about the intimacy of smaller spaces too. How much does that come into play? The idea that we're living not only culturally separate from one another in terms of the typical suburban setup with homes and every man in his island and his family is in the in an island separated from one another, but within the home. That this, the, the typical traditional designs uh, separate us from our families and, and those we live with. It's a huge issue, and I think it's one that we really don't recognize the impact. Um, with a, a not-so-big house, which I should clarify, doesn't necessarily mean small. It just means, I, I usually say, about a third smaller than you thought you needed, but just as expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're just taking dollars out of square footage that you don't use and making the, the space you do use better. But those houses have a definite sense of intimacy, and, and that's what makes families feel connected. Now, it doesn't mean you're all in one big space all the time, either. A, a not-so-big house, the way that I describe it, is one that actually feels quite a bit bigger than it actually is, because with good design, you can make something feel really spacious. That requires somebody to have thought about how, to com how the spaces are composed in relation to one another. So that, for example, you can see perhaps from one corner of the house to the opposite corner along a long view. I call it a diagonal view. So it accentuates the longest axis in the house. 
it gives you the sense that there's more space there. Uh, and that but makes a lot of sense rather than the compartmentalization right, of all these right. little mini cubes. Absolutely. That, the small house with small cube rooms is, is horrible. And in fact, you can build a very large house, all of those small cubes, and you are constantly going to feel like you're cramped. Yeah. So it's not so much the square footage, it's how it's designed. Well, I want to hear more about that. We're going to take a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsor of the show, and uh, we will be right back with Sarah Suzanka, who is an author of a number of books, including The Not-So-Big House and The Not-So-Big Life, and who is the principal of Suzanka Studios, and we'll be right back. Listen to Living Green, Effortless Ecology for Everyday People, a weekly online audio program featuring champions of sustainable living at personallifemedia.com. And we are back talking about the not-so-big house and not-so-big life with Sarah Suzanka, an author and principal of Suzanka Studios. Sarah, I'm just curious, when we were, we were just talking about uh, some of the ways from an, architect, an architectural standpoint that you've come up with to accentuate uh, and, and optimize, really, the space that you do have, and you had mentioned about diagonal design and being able to see through the home and non-compartmentalization, are there any other aspects that, that you would include in that? Well, actually, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Give us in, a um, top five. Or... Yeah. <laughs> My uh, um, second book, uh, Creating the Not-So-Big House, helps people to see some of these things that can really make your house feel larger. And I'm going to just give you an example of, of one of them. If you put a, a lighted painting at the end of a hallway, you're physiologically moved towards that painting. And there's a principle behind this. It's what I call light to walk toward. You're moved towards that light, and it's not just a near-death experience. <laughs> it's hardwired into us. Uh -huh. So architects use this all the time. When they're steering people through public buildings, for example, they'll place a window at the far end of a vista or you know, some piece of sculpture that it has a focal point of light on it. It makes you move towards that thing. Interesting. And we can do this in our houses. If you think about all of the um, ranch houses, for example, you know, with those deadly hallways to the bedrooms and the bathroom, mm -hmm. that put, put a lighted painting at the end, it will entirely shift the experience of walking down the hall and also your feeling about the whole wing of the house. So that's probably a $300 remodel, and it has an enormous return on investment. That's very cool. We need you to come over and consult with how we design our house because <laughs> we're not good at those kinds of things. It's like it's well, all actually, up the wall. The walls for are those painted, that are, uh, are interested in it, there's a, the, um, I have a book called Home by Design, which is like a, a dictionary, a visual dictionary of all the principles that can help you make your house more uh, alive because of uh, just implementing some of these ideas. Okay, and I also understand that you've also covered the outside, too, with gardens and such That's on the right. outside, the, the not-so-big house as well. That's right. There's, so, there's uh, uh, also one that's all about the details, which is called Inside the Not-So-Big Houses. So there's plenty of choices out there. <laughs> well, and I'm curious, like, if, if you look at you know, all of the material that you've put into this series of books, what would you say is the most important lesson that people can be drawing from this, uh, people that, such as the listeners of the show that are interested in living green? Well, there's a very simple one, and it's something that people don't usually think about. We are three-dimensional creatures, and we are very sensitive to the third dimension. That's the heights of everything. And unfortunately, we don't recognize that when we're selecting a plan to build, we're selecting based on two dimensions, on just the the floor plan itself. So 
So what you need in order to really know whether your house is going to be a really comfortable one or not is information about the heights of everything. And as we become more aware of how much that influences how we feel, I think we'll end up with housing choices that are vastly improved. So I'm not just talking about tall, taller, and tallest, mm-hmm. which is what we tend to do today. Mm-hmm. But, for example, alcoves that have lower ceilings. I'm sitting, as I'm speaking to you, in an alcove that's got a seven-foot ceiling in a room that's eight-foot tall. So there's, there's just ways to make a space feel more cozy and make the eight-foot ceiling actually feel taller because you're experiencing it in relation to something that's contrastingly shorter. Interesting. So it's tricks of the trade, as it were, to, exactly. to manipulate space and per human perception. It's really exactly. human engineering, I guess. Really, That's, is what right. It, That's uh, right. Uh, now, just moving from the not-so-big house for a moment, I know that your most recent book is The Not-So-Big Life. Tell us about how that came about and the transition from more of the architectural and home, residential home-based concepts to moving into really like all of green living. That's right. Exactly. Well, it's actually it's about how we engage our lives um, just as we have tended to to live um, in bigger and bigger and bigger houses as we can afford them, and then we realize, boy, there's something missing. We're doing exactly the same thing in our lives with getting busier and busier and busier. Think of all the tools that we have that supposedly save us time. Well, in fact, what they do is they allow us to do more things simultaneously, but in the process, we're not actually showing up in our lives We're always thinking about what we've got to do next on our to-do list, or we're worrying about what just happened. And so not-so-big living is really about learning how to be more engaged in what you do and in what your heart really desires to do. And the reason I came to write this book was that I could not have written the Not-So-Big House series had I not made some pretty major changes in how I was living my life. I always had loved writing, but I didn't have time to write something that I knew the world really needed right now, which was these understandings that I had about how to design better houses and, and, you know, really to give the toolbox to the homeowners and say, look, here's how you do it. So the not-so-big life, if I can sort of give it a little synopsis, is simply that it encourages people to start living their passions to start looking at what, it is, what is it that I've always really wanted to do and then to start finding ways to engage those passions. And the punchline is that that is the most sustainable thing you can possibly do. We can't usually see that. We think of it perhaps as self-indulgent. But as you start to engage what you're passionate about, you're automatically present in what you're doing because you're so, enga- you're so delighted by it. And that is the way that the planet rebalances because our hearts and we human beings are actually part of this whole process. And so when our heart's longing to do something, that is the planet expressing its needs through us. And that is something that uh, I think we rarely look at, and yet it's really what Gandhi meant when he said we must be the change we wish to see in the world. 
that's what he meant. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite one of my favorite sayings. And I, I really appreciate the eloquence with with you, with which you put that um, because uh, that I, that is the, I love the way you said that. That is the planet's way of expressing what it needs is through our our wills. And so I guess much in the same way as artificially building homes. Uh, to be, you know, a certain size or layout that isn't really true to our hearts and are the function that we require in, you know, sort of, I hate to use the word, but prostituting ourselves out to do work that isn't really heart-centered for us. That's exactly right. We pervert the entire intended process, uh, not, never mind making ourselves unhappy in the process to right. search for the almighty dollar or whatever That's it is. That's right. And it's actually so simple when you stop and recognize that the thing that you really want to do is exactly what the world needs. That is such an exciting message for people. So uh, that's very, what a not-so-big life is really all well, about. Well, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I, I can see, I mean, that spirit definitely, the, the same spirit that drives, you know, home architectural decisions is the same thing that does spill over into the into these other areas. I'm curious about... You know, who is the audience for this that you're finding? There is this notion of, and this expression, and you, you talk about it on your website about cultural creatives, which is this idea of that some believe that we are in a period of great, I happen to be one of them, that we're in a period of, of transition culturally as an entire a world civilization, and that we're sort of, you know, we're at the, we're at the threshold of that. And, and we're moving into a new age um, of, uh, not, not the word new age, but right, we're moving right. into an entirely new period yeah. of, of human cultural culture and relation and so forth. And, you know, some have a negative view of that. Some have a very positive view of that. And some, I suppose, are in between. Um, is it that 50 million segment, as I guess that was originally coined by American Demographics magazine in an article they wrote back in 97, the, the cultural creatives that there's, I guess, allegedly 50 million of them in the United States. Are those the people that, that are buying into this or are you seeing mass, you know, general uh, adoption of, of these concepts? Well, there's definitely been, uh, originally when uh, the Not So Big House came out, it was actually right at the same time that that uh, cultural creative term was coined. And uh, they were definitely the segment of the population that jumped on it and said, wow, that's what I want as a Not So Big House. That sounds perfect. Um, Because that coincided with what uh, the, the study began to recognize was a set of values growing in the American culture that people were looking for something that was not so big in all sorts of ways, whether we're talking about cars or houses or uh, sizes of meals, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're just realizing that the quantity solution to things really wasn't where it was at. So, and for those listeners who um, want to look up more, if you go to notsobighouse.com, I have an introductory letter on there, and it actually provides the link to the original article on cultural creatives right there. So it's very useful to just get a sense of what that audience is looking for. And I think since that time, so we now, you know, 10 years later, I've seen the the movement towards uh, not so big in all these different uh, venues um, happen to a larger and larger segment of the population. I don't know that all of those would classify themselves with the same set of values that you can read about with the Cultural Creatives article, but but they are recognizing that they're missing the boat somehow by just focusing on quantity. And so by this re-looking at where do we find meaning, where do we find the quality of life, of life that we're looking for, that's where... Um, this audience is coming from. They're people who are reevaluating what's important. 
And, you know, one of the, uh, that's, you know, very fascinating. And I, and I have to say that one of the things that I always encounter along those lines is when I travel in Europe and, and in, in Asia, it's the same way where they're forced into uh, more economical lifestyles in smaller spaces. And they've learned to make the most of it out of, out of force. They've needed to do that because right. it's, it's financially impossible um, in, in those countries and those continents to be able to have an, the enormous uh, wealth of space that we have here. Right. And right. so they've created, you know, it, they make it cool. Right, right. exactly. You know, it's got style. That's, that's <laughs> it, the key because I know. think most Americans are worried that if they build smaller, it's also going to be less interesting. And what you've seen with through your travels and what I know through my uh, cultural background from England is that bigger is not necessarily better. And very frequently, in the bigness itself, we actually lose the quality that we're looking for. So that's what I often say. Home has almost nothing to do with square footage. So we're looking for home in this country with the wrong tool. Yeah, it really is a change of perspective. It's a complete revolution of perspective that uh, that I, I certainly welcome. Well, I have uh, I have another very important question for you, but it's going to have to wait until after our last uh, sponsor break, which we're going to take right now, and then we will be back with Sarah Suzanka, author and principal of Suzanka Studios, and you can find her online at www.notsobig.com, and we'll be right back. Listen to Money, Mission, and Meaning. Passion at work, purpose at play. A weekly audio program bringing you success in the business of life on personallifemedia.com. Okay, and we are back with Sarah Suzanka. We're talking about a not-so-big house in a not-so-big life uh, to improve our lives and to live more sustainably. And so I guess really uh, the one question or the last question we really have time for today would be, you know, what key piece of advice would you have, uh, Sarah, for giving our listeners today who are seeking to live more sustainably? Um, what, what can they do today? Uh, what's the most important thing they can do? And is it something they can just start with immediately? Well, there's something uh, really simple. And I actually have written about this on um, the Not So Big Life website recently. It's what I call decluttering. And we can declutter both our houses and our lives. And as we do so, everything gets a little bit simpler. And in the process of, of that simplifying, we can slow down a little bit. By slowing down, we end up showing up more. And there's nothing better <laughs> for just rebalancing your life than that, that both uh, inner and outer decluttering. I've had a lot of people respond to the blog post that I uh, put on the website related to that. And I think that a lot of your listeners would probably enjoy it and learn something from it. Well, I, I know that I, that resonates with me. I, I never feel better than when I uh, the I think maybe semi annual cleaning of my office desk. That's or, right, exactly. You know, I mean, it, it clears your mind, and uh, you know, I, I definitely believe in like the Zen space. But it, and I mean, for everybody who's ever spring, done spring cleaning on their garage or you know your bedroom or whatever it is, you get rid of your old clothes, you donate them, and how, how you feel when right. you when you create the void, and then what what creeps into it. It's kind exactly. of a magical, hard to describe event. Exactly. Happens. It's hard hard to believe that something so simple can have such profound effects. So decluttering. You've got it. All right. Well, that's that's good advice. And, and we would love to have you back. I'm sorry we're out of time for today, but we've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, I know the listeners will, will enjoy hearing the information and advice you have and, and your perspectives. Well, thanks so much, Sean. I'd love to be back. All right. Great. Well, we'll see you again. And thank you, everybody, for listening in today. 
Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.